negative, but let me, and there is a negative aspect, but just remember that there is also the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh too, you know. And there's also going to be a bride that's going to be made ready for the Lord. So there's going to be a real purifying that's going to happen. And also there's going to be an end time harvest come in. So it's not all negative, but I want to say last week I talked a lot about the altar. I talked about the blood of Jesus. This week I'm going to talk about rebuilding the altar. Uh, and I'll get to this throughout this sermon, but more along the lines of prayer. But let's go ahead and open. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Are we good back there? Ready to go? Okay, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you that we're able to be here. Lord, we just praise you. You alone, Lord, are worthy of all the glory. We ask you as we get into the word of the Lord tonight that the heavens just be open, that your glory will be here. And we ask that the precious Holy Spirit would be released out upon all those that are going to be listening to this, and the Holy Spirit would move upon all of us to help us be good, fertile soil. The Holy Spirit would move upon our hearts and minds so that we can be focused, that our hearts are good soil, that our minds are, are tuned in, kind of locked into what the Lord is saying. We're not going to be distracted by anything that the Holy Spirit will touch our eyes and ears, that we have eyes and ears of the Spirit. But Lord, I ask you to come upon me and speak through me everything that needs to be spoken tonight. It'll go out as living seeds of truth sown into good soil. And that soil, the Holy Spirit will just water that, those seeds of truth. It will take root and grow in all of us to produce a hundredfold harvest, a harvest of eternal fruit, fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, let the word go out tonight. Let it be like the washing of the water of the word. Let it be like a hammer that's going to break down every stronghold. Every, let it be, the word of God, be a sword that's going to penetrate and get where it needs to go. Let it be a bright, shining light of truth that dispels the darkness and lies of the enemy and brings truth and revelation. Lord, speak through me everything that needs to be spoken and let the wind of the Holy Spirit carry this out among the nations it gets on the internet let it go out everywhere it's supposed to be and accomplish everything it's supposed to do and lord we know jesus taught us the birds of the air try to steal the seed and so there is an element of warfare there so all of us together we agree together lord that we take authority over anything of the devil's kingdom that would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to go and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. And we agree together, we bind you now in Jesus' name. We command you to back off from this word right now tonight in the name of Jesus. And Lord, let your angels just clear that out. Let it be anointed and effective tonight. We love your word. We thank you for your word. Where will we be today without the word of the Lord? So we bless you and we thank you for it. Let there be clarity and truth established as you speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we get into this, just remember last week I talked about the altar of the Lord. And I talked about how it's, I don't want to get too much back into this, but Hebrews chapter 8 says that the tabernacle that God gave to Moses is a replica of what's in heaven. So it's a beautiful thing. You kind of get a glimpse of heavenly things. You see it in the book of Revelation because you see a lot of references to the tabernacle and things in the tabernacle that are in heaven, things like the menorah, etc. So... With that said, we talked about the emphasis on the blood of Jesus. For us to really survive and thrive in these last days, I believe that all of us need to really make much about the blood of Jesus. Amen? So come under the blood every day. Bring your family under the blood. Let's talk about the blood. Let's worship and sing about the blood. Let's reverence the blood. I love this church. I love that you guys, together with your past, you love communion. 
So we take communion when we come together. We reverence the blood of Jesus. We bring our lives, our families under the blood corporately every time we come together. And so the blood of Jesus is going to be a great protection in these last days. And so with that said, this is kind of part two, and I'm calling this rebuilding the altar. So in this, just follow along in the notes, but Exodus 22 verse 31, and it says, you are to be holy men to me. And you shall not eat meat that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. So Exodus 22, verse 31, you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. Now, isn't that interesting? And look at this. In Matthew 7, 6, do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine. Or they will trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. So what Israel had in the natural, we have in the spiritual. I'm just telling you that there are things that us as Christians, that God does not want us feeding on. Amen? So there's things that maybe the world, you know, Jesus said that to the Canaanite woman. He said that um, it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. There's a reference there to god's people being distinct from the world and not not meaning this in an insulting way but there's things that dogs will feed on that we're not going to eat on amen in the natural in the same way there's things that unbelievers will feast on that us as true believers god does not want us feasting on and so the lord wants us to be careful about what's going in our eyes what's going in our ears and what we're participating in you know, I'll just say this up front as a church. I know that God really touched my life in the revivals of the 90s. And many of you know my testimony. And as God has done that, there's, I've seen a trend since around 2005, unfortunately, where there's been just a lot of things going on in the church world. But we here never got mixed up in that. We never began to look at a church like trying to build a church like you would a business. A church is not a secular business. It's not a social club. It's not an entertainment industry. It's, not, it's a spiritual thing, okay? And I'll get more into that here in a moment. But we never tried to look at it like building a business. If we wanted to learn business tactic, tactics, you can go to the local community college and learn about running a business. The church is not a business. It's a spiritual thing with spiritual authority. It is a kingdom that Christ has in the earth. It's a spiritual thing. So we never got caught up trying to do something like it's some kind of a secular business. And we never got into some of the, listen to what I'm saying, worldly trends that have been sweeping through the body. And I'm just going to say it flat out. We didn't get caught up in all the social drinking and the foul language. We didn't get caught up with all the tattoos and piercings. We didn't get caught up with having sinners on the worship team and other things trying to build some kind of fancy thing you know here's here's what i think a lot of people people are trying to do they're trying to get they're hiring lost people to be in the worship team and it's smoking lights and they're just after having some kind of a concert we never got caught up with that it doesn't matter if the worship team sounds the best what matters is is that it's pleasing to him we never got caught up with over preaching hyper grace and hope while neglecting messages on the pure gospel and repentance of sin 
We never got caught up in dumbing down sermons in a ridiculous way. You know why that's there a lot of times? Because people don't want to preach the pure gospel and they don't want to call people to repentance so they have a bunch of lost people in the church. The lost people aren't going to understand the word of God so they got to turn to silly things like throwing a bunch of Legos on the platform and talking to them like they're a bunch of little kids. You know why that is? Because they don't have the spirit of God in their life to understand the meat of the word. We never got caught up into all of that. We are hungry for the meat. We're hungry for a true word of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So the worldly trends and things that's been going on, River of Life never got caught up with that. In Proverbs 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the holy is understanding. The word there is kadosh. Why don't you notice the fear of the Lord? In Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons and perform miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So there's something that God is wanting in his house where there's a holy, hallowed fear of God that's there by the Holy Spirit that will draw the lost to Christ and purify the bride. But there's got to be that message there, that anointed, powerful message that brings the lost unto the Lord, okay? And draws people to repentance. And I pray tonight, even as we're talking about this, that the Holy Spirit will move upon people that are out there that are hearing this and going to be sharing this. I'm, I'm grieved, and I know you are too, and a lot of people that listen to this, we have a pretty large audience on the internet, are grieved about all the worldliness that's out there. When I come to church, I'm not there to be entertained. I'm not there for a bunch of worldly stuff. I'm there to have an encounter with God. I want to experience the power of God in my life. I want to experience the Lord. You know, people come to church looking for something. They want a touch of God. And how many times I've seen people, I remember this one lady, it was... Yeah, I talked about this so much in the past. I don't want to have to go back into this too much, but the, the new birth is the Holy Spirit coming into us. You know, it's not just a religious thing. It is an encounter with the Lord. Is this making sense? It's important that people understand to be born again isn't like you're, you're joining a church or you're saying some prayer or you're, you're signing some decision card or something. It is the Holy Spirit coming in you. And I remember this precious lady came one time here and just simply got prayer she come from a background where the holy spirit was never at work and where she was but i remember her falling out for a very long period of time and she got up afterwards saying i've never experienced anything like that in my life and then afterwards she came up to me weeks later and said you know i feel so close to jesus isn't that awesome but that's what we need people need an encounter with the lord not just another service they need a true encounter with the living god so let me get into the last couple things I want to cover. The true church is drawn together and invested with kingdom authority. So Matthew chapter 18, 19 through 20 says, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done by them, by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three, look at this, have gathered together in my name, I'm in their midst. Now, I want you to notice that the phrase gathered together in the Greek is sunago, and it means led together. Everybody say led. 
So it's not, let me tell you what it's not. It's not a couple people hanging out at the Starbucks sipping on coffee saying we're having church. Okay, like a lot of people are trying to make it. What it is, is the Holy Spirit drawing people together. Did everybody catch that? You know, one time somebody told Derek Prince, they said, you know, I'm going to build a church. And he said, you have no idea how arrogant that statement is. He said, only the Lord can build a church. The Bible says that unless the Lord build it, them that labor, labor in vain. So the Lord is the, is the king. A lot of people are trying to build things, but the church, I hope that people understand what I'm trying to say tonight. I'm doing my best to explain it. But the church is not just a group of people coming together. Does everybody understand that tonight? It's not just a social thing. It's, it, it is a kingdom thing. It's something that the Lord establishes on the earth. He draws people together to it. It has kingdom authority invested in it. His fivefold ministry at work. And it is an extension of him in the earth. There's an authority there. And I like, you know, people like Leonard Ravenhill would say, you know, the less Holy Ghost you got, the more donuts and coffee you'll need. Right now, it seems to be that's the way it is. But those that are drawn, that are gathered in his name, he said, I'm in the midst of those. Just because people come together doesn't mean the Lord's in their midst. He said, those that are led, that are drawn together by him, a true church, a true gathering of true believers, where he's invested his authority, those people, he said, I promise I'll meet with you. I'll be in your midst when you come together. Isn't that awesome? You'll see, this is glazed over sometimes, and we need to really think about this. So I think that there's a lot of gatherings out there, and, and I, love every, I love everybody, but today, over the last 15 to 20 years, there's just a lot of things going on right now. There's a lot of worldliness, a lot of carnality. There's a lot of social things, but there are still going to be places in the earth where the Lord himself has drawn people together, and he's placed his authority there, and it's going to be a powerful place where he meets with his people. Amen? All right. And I believe with all my heart, not saying this to, you know, hype anybody up, but I really believe we're on the cusp of a move of God. I believe River of Life is, but I believe this nation is poised. See, the Bible says in the last days I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. And we're, a lot of times when a great revival comes, like it did in the 90s, you had... You know, revival meetings with Rodney Howard Brown and Benny Hinn, the Argentine revival, it's a major move of God in the mid to late 80s through the 90s. You have Brownsville and Toronto, great sweeping revivals all over the world. You remember reading about in China, the underground church at the same time seeing this surge of revival there. There were outpourings in Reinhard Bonnke's ministry in Africa, etc., and it was like this tsunami wave of the Holy Spirit. But then a lot of times, you ever notice when the wave comes in like that on the beach, it'll, then you have the time where it pulls way back before the next wave. And I believe that's where we've been at. And when it pulls way back like that, you look at it, it looks pretty nasty under there. And that's kind of where it's been for the last decade or so. But I, I strongly believe that God's about to have another wave come through. 
And God's going to do something awesome. What is seemingly impossible right now, when the Lord shows up, it's about to become possible. It's like things that seem like they would never move are going to move. And I love the analogy. I've shared this before, but there was a, a very young man, and he had gone out to the docks, and this, this older man that had, you know, captained ships for years and all this, he was out there, and there was this huge boat that was stuck in the mud. And the young man was there, and he was pushing on it. He said, sir, how in the world are you ever going to get this thing out to sea? And he just kind of laughed and said, don't worry about it, son. He said, when the, when the tide comes in. And so later that evening, the tide came in, and he took him back out there, and he said, see, look. And that boat, that tide had lifted that boat up. And before, when it was stuck in the mud, you could push that thing with all your might. You could run into it. It wasn't going to budge. But when the tide came in, that young man could push on it, and that boat would begin to move, even under his strength. So when the tide of the Lord begins to come in, things that have seemed like they would never move, all of a sudden will begin to move. The harvest will yield. But Revelation 2.4, let me move on. Jesus said, I have this against you. You have left, left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. And do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So the lampstand represents like the status of a church. When you go in the tabernacle of Moses, there was the table of showbread, the communion table, then you had the menorah. The menorah was an interesting piece of furniture. It's in heaven. And Moses replicated on the earth. And the menorah had these like almond buds that were beaten into them. And it had 12 of them, if you count the knob, the bud, the bowl. It had 12 up the shaft in the middle. And it had nine on each branch. If you count them up, there was 66. And God was prophesying through that, even in the days of Moses, that one day we would have a 66-book Bible. It represents the Word of God. But it not only represents the word, it represents the Holy Spirit because the menorah had the pure oil in it and the fire that burned on top of it. And God is wanting, he has wanted to anoint us as his people. He's given us his Holy Spirit to baptize us in the Holy Ghost and with fire. So the menorah speaks of like God's family tree. It's like an almond tree, but it's also like an olive tree. But it's God's family tree, and in, in the root system, the bottom of it speaks of that initial covenant that God made with Abraham. But out of that covenant came that shaft, which represents Jesus Christ. And we are all engrafted in him, in Jesus. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so this is his family tree, and he's given us what? His word and his spirit. So this represents when God draws people together and God invests his kingdom authority in a group of people that are drawn by his spirit together. God has given us as his covenant people his word and his precious Holy Spirit. And the Lord said, I will meet with you when you are drawn together. I will be in your midst, okay? And so the danger here was that there could be people that will lose their status as a church. Think about the threat the Lord made here. Just because people gather together in groups 
does not mean that the Lord is always going to be in the midst of them. Whenever they begin to allow unrepentant sin to permeate that place, when they begin to allow worldliness to creep in and they don't repent, the Holy Spirit keeps dealing with them. The Word of God's preached. They keep it in their midst. They are, they're in danger of the Lord removing his lampstand, which would be his kingdom authority, which would be his status as a church. And all of a sudden, it's like Ichabod could be written across the top. And whenever that light is removed, what comes in? Great thick darkness. And unfortunately, I believe that's what we're seeing today i don't want to get too much into it but there are places where there's like a darkness that's coming in but i believe that god is calling not only river of life but many others he's calling that we're going to rebuild the altar and see revival again first kings 18 verse 30 we all know this story in the days of elijah god brought this man elijah out of nowhere we don't know anything about his genealogy. We don't know, was he of the priestly line of Aaron? Was he a Levite? Or was he just some random person in Israel? He literally came out of nowhere. But God called him during the darkest hour in Israel's history. Jezebel had come to power. Jezebel was systematically killing all of the true prophets. And while she was doing that, she was replacing them with her false prophets. There was such great persecution that Jezebel was systematically tearing down and destroying anything to do with what God had established in Israel. And she was trying to fill the land with idolatry and Baal worship. And God called Elijah, and Elijah was led by the Holy Spirit to go up on Mount Carmel. And he had this great challenge and he called unto these false prophets and remember the challenge he said build this altar but i want you to notice something here he said elijah said to the people come near to me so all the people came near to him and look at this he repaired the altar of the lord which had been torn down so jezebel had torn down the altar like last week i talked about the altar the altar is the place where the blood is shed the altar represents the blood being reverenced the blood being preached it represents the blood covenant that has to do with the true gospel. And it's, it's a place where covenant is cut. But also the altar is a place of great worship and prayer. And Jezebel had directly attacked this altar of the Lord to be torn down. And so Elijah comes in and he tells the people to gather unto him. And he begins to challenge those false prophets. But what did he do? He rebuilt the altar again. For us to see what God's wanting to do, we're going to have to rebuild this altar. First and foremost, this altar being rebuilt has to do with preaching the true gospel. Don't water it down. Don't try to people please. One of the things I love, there was a series of movies years ago, Kirk Cameron was in. It was uh, Left Behind. It was about the end times. But there was one of those movies, I remember that this preacher got up, and there was a group of people there looking for answers because the rapture had happened. And he told them the truth out of God's word. Half of them got up and walked out. And he just kept on with it. That's what you do. You don't, he didn't go chasing after them saying, hey, if you come back, I'll change my message. 
And I remember John chapter 6 when Jesus had crossed over and he was, there was a large group of people there. They had seen Jesus multiply the loaves and fishes and they were following him and they were amazed at his ministry. And they all come to him and Jesus gets up and he says something that he knew was going to offend them. He said, listen up everybody, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. And a huge group of these people left. But I tell you what's not in the Bible is Jesus running after him, groveling, going, oh, please come back. If you come back, I'll change my message for you. You don't see that. Instead, Jesus said, let him go. And he turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, well, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. I mean, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? The first thing that's got to come at rebuilding this altar is we got to get back to preaching the blood of Jesus, preaching the cross unashamedly. We're going to preach the truth and the word of God, even if people hate you and leave because we're li living in a time where there's going to be people like that. They don't want to hear it. But you preach it anyway, because God's got his remnant that will hear it. Amen. So that's number one. Number two is the altar is a place of worship and prayer we've got to get back to prayer and fasting and i know you guys are with me in this we're going to have another church-wide fast here pretty soon march uh march the 8th we're going to start that and we'll end it by coming together for a deep consecration time we really consecrate our lives but i encourage you during that fast we're believing god for things but i encourage you self-examination Lord, purge me, purify me, show me anything that I need to repent of. Do a deep work in me. But Isaiah 58 is the scripture, the chapter you want to read about fasting. And when you look at Joel 2, you look at 2 Chronicles 7, 14, Isaiah 58, you begin to kind of put together different scriptures. Remember Joel 2? Call a solemn assembly, declare a fast, weep between porch and altar, all of that. When you begin to put all those together, you get these five. God's looking for us to humble ourselves. He's looking for us to pray and fast. And then there's giving, being faithful with your tithes and offerings. And then there's deeply consecrating our lives. Are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? Lord, purify me. If you'll do those five things. But look at what the Lord says here. He says, once they have prayed and fasted, he said, is this the fast I've chosen for you? And he talked about that you would check your motives and you would make sure and treat people right and do right. And God wasn't going to honor the fast of somebody that was going to come up here and act all spiritual and then go back and, you know, beat up their family or something. He said, look, he said, this is the fast I've chosen. But look at what he promised in verse 12. He said, after you've prayed and fasted, he said, there will be those from among you that will re rebuild ancient ruins. Did y'all catch that? Because Elijah had to rebuild the altar that Jezebel tore down. He said, those of you that will pray and fast and seek me with pure motives, he said, among you will arise people that will rebuild ancient ruins that will raise up age-old foundations. What's the true foundation? Jesus said, unless a house 
is built on the rock. What was the rock? It was obedience to the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the rock. He said, those that hear my words and apply them, your house is built on a rock. But those that hear my words and don't apply them, your house is built on sand. And when the storms come, it will collapse. So he said, I will use those of you that are people of prayer and fasting to rebuild the ancient ruins, to raise up again the age-old foundations. You will repair the breach. How many knows that there's walls that have huge holes in them right now? Spiritually speaking in the kingdom. He said, I will raise up people among you like a Nehemiah that will close up those walls again and bring protection back to my people. We need to quit allowing everything in God's house. Not everything is supposed to be in God's house. Worldliness is not supposed to be in God's house. Sin isn't supposed to be in God's house. When people are doing that, they're allowing like a breach in the wall of protection. Things are coming in. But he said, you will be among those that repair breaches in the wall. And you will restore the streets in which to dwell. Isn't that awesome? How many want to be a part of those that pray and fast and God uses us to see age-old foundations restored again? To see ancient ruins, things that Jezebel tore down decades ago. Things that have been torn down, altars that have been torn down, wells of revival that have been stopped up, things that the enemy has destroyed. But yet God says, among those of you that will pray and fast, I will raise up a remnant and you will rebuild those things. Great restoration. And I think one of the major breaches, this is not the only one, but this is one of the major breaches is in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, where Paul said it's actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind that does not even exist among the Gentiles, that someone has had his father's wife. You have become arrogant, and have mo you should have mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled, remember what I talked about, assemble. Drawn together by the Holy Spirit, kingdom authority, okay? He said, when you've come together, and he said, you're one in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is in your midst. Is all this making more sense now after we talked about this? He said, Paul said, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. He said, your boasting is not good because the Corinthian church was a worldly church in many ways because they had come out of so much sin. Paul was trying to help them understand you cannot tolerate unrepentant sin remaining in your midst over a period of time, okay? And he said, do you not know that a little leaven works through the whole lump of dough? clean out the old leaven so that you would be a new lump just as in fact you are unleavened what does leaven represent sin for christ our passover has been sacrificed therefore let us celebrate the feast and he's referring to passover here not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. And I didn't mean with the immoral people of this world or with the, but he said this, with the covetous swindlers, idolaters, and those, you would have to leave the world because the world's that way. But he said this, I wrote to you to not associate with any so-called brother 
if he is an immoral person. So this is a Christian here. We're held to a higher level, a higher standard. He said, if those people are covetous and idolaters and revilers and they're drunkards and they're swindlers, don't even eat a meal with those people. For what, I, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do, not, do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside God judges? But here, here's what he says, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So Paul wanted this removed out of the church. And I believe that some of the strange things that have been allowed in, some of the sexual immorality that's going on in the church today, things that are tolerated in the midst thereof. And I'm going to tell you, just from personal experience, as we've come together and we've taken communion when we meet together, I have seen how the power, I don't understand it completely, but the power of that communion table has helped to bring together God's people. You remember when, we, when we've had the Pentecost conferences, people come from all over. And it's like the power of the communion unifies God's people, but it also somehow, it purges out the people that need to go. I've seen it now enough times that it, it's, it's a powerful thing. Somehow, and let me give you a scripture about it. Isn't it interesting that it was during a Passover meal when Jesus was there with the 12 and others were present, but Jesus was celebrating Passover. Understand. And during the Passover meal, he says, one of you will betray me. And it was during that meal that Judas ate of something Jesus gave him. And the Bible says Satan entered him and he left. There's something about the power of the communion table to unify God's remnant and help keep out those that need to be kept out, that are unrepentant. But at the end of the day, there cannot be tolerating, whether it be sexual immorality or whatever it is, that people are not going to repent of. It cannot be tolerated in the midst thereof. That creates a breach. Paul said, do you not know that a little leaven works through the whole church? So if the church is going to tolerate it, it can begin to work its way spiritually speaking throughout the entire group. So there's got to be purity here. And this is something that I don't understand, but for some reason over the last decade, 15, 20 years maybe at the most, it seems like there's been an attitude of anything goes. Just as long as, as a bunch of people are, are coming, anything goes. Don't preach against sin. Don't offend anybody. Just, and I'll tell you something, those places that are full of sin and nobody's really getting right and repenting, there is, hear me, there is no lampstand there. It may have a lot of money, and it may have, you know, smoking lights and look real fancy, but the lampstand is not there. That power of the Holy Spirit, the true word of God, where they're drawn together and the Lord's in their midst, that is absent. And what happens? It just becomes a social thing, an entertainment thing. It's hyped up. Is this making sense tonight? So what God sent me here tonight to talk about is this. River of life, you are right at the place where you're about to get your breakthrough. And God's going to begin to bring different people here and move us out of this place and all that. This has just been preparation. You're right at the place of your breakthrough. Answer prayers, prophecies being fulfilled. We're right at it. 
And God is calling us to rebuild the altar again. And once even as we get our breakthrough, God is wanting River of Life and many others too, but he's wanting us to be a people who are a part of those that are going to be rebuilding the ruins of what the devil has torn down. Messages that you don't hear anymore need to be heard again. That where is the power of the Holy Spirit? I, I thought about it. I don't want this to sound negative because I believe God has a remnant out there and God's moving mightily in some places. But it seems like you've got to go a lot further and fewer between to find it anymore. But God's about to show up. Great revival's about to break forth and things are about to change. And what God spoke to me was, and I close with this, God spoke to me to get back to our roots and our heritage. And I think about that song, Take Me Into the Holy of Holies. But as we get back to our roots again, we get back to our heritage, think about the power of the blood of Jesus. Like last week I started this, the blood of Jesus is what gave the priest access to the Holy of Holies. See, the priest on the Day of Atonement, he would don just the white part of his garments and he had to go through a time of making sure that he was purified. See, we all want, well, we do. We all want revival. But God is saying, okay, but let me purify you and get you ready for revival. You see, the priest had to examine himself. But after he did what he needed to do, the priest would go in with the bowl of the blood of the offering. And he would take that blood and he would sprinkle it in the Holy of Holies with his finger on the mercy seat. And that blood gave him access to approach there between the cherubim. And the Lord said, I will meet you there. The glory of God came in. See, the outer court was lit by the sun, the holy place by the menorah. But the holy of holies would have been dark except for the glory coming down. And that blood that was applied gave that priest access to the glory. Are y'all hearing me tonight? The blood gave him access. But also God saw the blood and God, his glory came down where the blood was reverenced and the blood was applied. See, I view it like this. When we all come together and we take communion together, each one of us are coming fresh under the blood of Jesus. And when God is looking down from heaven and looking into this place, it's like he is seeing, if you will, the drops of blood as he looks it down on us. He's seeing the drops of blood and how the blood is honored and reverenced. The blood of Jesus, the blood of the covenant. And the Lord is coming down with his glory and meeting with us. So the blood gives us access into the Holy of Holies. The blood attracts the glory of God. That's why God spoke to Azusa Street Revival and said, Make much about the blood. Because the glory of God was going to be at Azusa in an awesome way. The blood also has to do with a deep priestly consecration that happens in our bodies, in us. It's interesting to me to think about the statement that once you take communion, when you leave out, you better be careful what you do with your body because the communion is in your body. Is this making sense? I heard somebody say that one time. But see, what represents the body and blood of Jesus is going into your body and blood. It's like the two becoming one. It's a union with Christ. It's also a way that we're bringing our lives under the blood and bringing our families under the blood. Isn't it also interesting that at Passover, there was one lamb for the entire household? 
There's something about that. What I'm saying, God didn't make each individual person get a lamb. There's something about that, and God didn't expect that each individual person would have like maybe blood on their forehead. He had them put the blood on the doorpost, and it covered the family. So there's something about, I just want you to, let me give you an example. There was a preacher that was saying that their church takes communion regularly. Communion is a powerful intercessory thing. And this lady had a son that had been estranged from her, deeply involved in sin. As a matter of fact, she specifically said he was getting involved in the occult and sexual immorality. He was really far from God and very rebellious. And they hadn't talked in a long time. He was estranged from her. And while she was praying, the Lord spoke to her about the communion. And he said this. He said, there was one lamb per household. And when she heard that, she realized that God was speaking to her about her family, about her children. So she took communion representing her son too. And she was believing as an intercessor for the power of the blood of Jesus to be bro break the power of hell off of him. And so she took the communion and she said after the Lord spoke that to her and she took communion on behalf of her son for the first time in a long time, something broke and he called her and he started talking to her and he gave his life to the Lord and he got things right with God and they reconciled something broke in the spirit realm when she took communion. So there's one lamb per household. Those of you that have children and grandchildren that are away from God, listen, believe God. God said that I will bless a thousand generations of them that love me. There is generational blessings that are promised to your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. God is wanting you to believe him that what he's done in you, he will do in them. I think about how Paul told Timothy. He said, Timothy, I see in you the faith of your mom and your grandma. I see it in you. There's something there. And so use communion also as an intercessory act for your family, okay? The, the communion table brings health and deliverance. Many people have been healed and delivered of things as they took communion. I don't have time to get into this too much, but let me say a couple things. There is this precious, I preached along these lines at a friend of mine's church. And this precious elderly lady came up to me and she, she was 90 something years old. I don't remember exactly, but I remember it was 90 something because I remember that because my grandmother passed away in her 90s, so it stuck in my mind. But she was 90-something years old, and she was in good health. I mean, she, was, she drove herself to church. She was active. She was active in the church. And she came up to me after I was preaching on these lines at a friend of mine's church. She comes up to me and says, Pastor Scott, I wanted to tell you, she said, when you were talking about communion, she said, I've been taking communion every day on my own just between me and the Lord for years. And she said, I really believe that's why I'm still healthy and active. She said, I can still serve the Lord. I can still get around. She said, my mind is still clear. And she was saying, I believe it's the communion table. So she said, I just wanted to tell you that because what you preached on tonight. And I remember her name was Fran. She's a precious woman of God. 
So the communion table, as I talked about earlier, also helps us to unify. And I don't just believe that this is just a mental thing. I believe that as we take something that represents Christ's body and blood, it's a covenant meal, which I talked about last week, remember? As we take this together, somehow spiritually, supernaturally, it's bringing us together to the Lord's table and unifying us. But it's also helping to purge the yeast out. So those that are sincere and repentant, God will help purge out of you what needs to go. But those that are not sincere, they're not repentant, and they don't want to change, God will help purge them out from our midst. As I said earlier, the two become one. I'm going to close with this, and then I'm going to pray for those that want prayer. So you guys have heard me talk about this, so just bear with me. There are people that haven't, okay? Now, talking about the power of the blood. So in ancient times, if you want to jot down Matthew 25, you'll look at this later. But in ancient times, in Jesus' day and before that, there was these weddings in the Jewish culture that are very different than our weddings today. I'm going somewhere with this about the blood and about blood covenant. And it'll help you understand Matthew 25 because Jesus said to, um, he said there were 10 virgins. That's 10 of God's people, virgins, okay? But five were foolish and five were wise. The wise ones had extra oil. So let me kind of explain this in a parable and, and just kind of a teaching of the way that this was. So during those days of Jesus and before that, a young man, if he wanted to get married, he would go out and he would go to the well where water was drawn because that was the young lady's chores. And so he'd go out there and kind of spy out the land. <laughs> and if he saw somebody that caught his interest, here's what he did. No, this, is, this is really important. If once we understand this, we understand a lot of scriptures and things that Jesus taught. But, so he'd find somebody that caught his interest. He wouldn't go to her. He would go to her father. And once he went to her father, he said, I'm really interested in marrying your daughter. And the father would say, okay, well, let's work out the price here because there was a dowry. There was a price. And so the father and this young man would work out the price and they would barter. You know, he'd say, well, I have so many sheep and camels, etc." And the father would, you know how, how it goes. He'd be like, well, I fed her for all these years. So, I mean, you can throw in a few more sheep. I'm seeing another camel here. And they would work it out. And once they came to an agreed price, because there had to be a price paid, then it would be documented. And there was actually something called like a ketubah, which is a, a document that would be signed. And it was like we have today a marriage license. It was basically along those lines. But it was an agreement. And the agreement on the young man that he would take care of her and provide for her. So once that was done and the father and this man agreed to it, then the young lady came in and the father would ask her, I've agreed to this, but you still have a choice. Are you, are you willing to marry this young man? And she could be like, absolutely not. You know, she could do that. But most young ladies wanted to get married and she was honored that, that he wanted to marry her. So they would pour a cup of the fruit of the vine and set it there. And if she agreed, now look at this, if she agreed, she would drink of the fruit of the vine. Isn't it interesting? It's a picture and type of like the communion table here. See? 
from the moment she drank that cup, she was considered married in every sense, really. She, she was betrothed to him. It was like an engagement, but it was much more serious than what we know in America as an engagement. She was basically considered off limits and as though she was married. So what she would do when she left, she would still have to go to the well and draw water and still live her life. But now she would wear a veil over her face because that veil basically said, I'm off limits. I'm spoken for. I'm betrothed. So if anybody went out there and saw them, she was distinct from the others. How many knows that God wants, Jesus wants a bride that is different than when the world looks at us they see something different about us you see and so the the once she drank of that fruit of the vine she had to set herself apart and keep herself for her bridegroom keep herself pure but her bridegroom now had to go and prepare a place for her a bridal chamber so he would go back to his dad's house and he would begin to build and work and he would build a bridal chamber onto the father's house the estate whatever they have and his father would oversee the process now this is important because the bible says jesus went to prepare a place for us but it also says that no man knows the day nor the hour but the father see that bridegroom's father would watch his work and when he felt that his son was ready when he felt that everything was done he would tell his son go get your bride so it became a saying in israel that no man knows the day nor the hour but the father and everybody knew what that meant it was a reference to this and so the father would come in and he would see his son working and he would probably make comments like son you did not nail that in good right there if you're not careful the strong wind's going to blow knock this down hit your poor new wife in the head you need to hammer that up better you need to put some kind of a board he would oversee the work once it was done the father would come in and say son go get your bridegroom or go get your bride rather so here's what he would do the son would get his friends together and they would go in a processional in the night and so they would have a shofar they'd be blasting the shofar and a group of people would go and they would go to this bride's house now everybody knew when this processional was going down the street like a parade in the middle of the night it would wake people up but people knew what was going on and they would rejoice in their hearts at the fact hey somebody's getting married tonight and that's why it's interesting that jesus said i come like a thief in the night and so this processional would go down the streets. They were singing. They were, they were shouting and rejoicing. The shofar was blasting. And, and the friends were yelling out, Behold, the bridegroom comes. So think about this. There was the sound of the shofar. There was a shout. And this had to do with the Lord coming to catch away his bride, we read about in the Bible. As the processional made their way now to this young lady's house, she would begin to hear them coming and she had to be ready and so if she was a wise virgin she would always sleep at night with her little lamp lit but she would also know that my bridegroom's coming at a day and an hour i don't know so she would always keep extra oil by her bedside 
She was a wise virgin with extra oil. So when her bridegroom came, he may, instead of coming at midnight, he may come at 2 or 3 in the morning, and her lamp would have went out. So she had to have extra oil to fill it and light it again so she could see to go meet him. And, of course, he would put a ladder up. He would climb the ladder and steal her out the window. And it's interesting because the Lord in Revelation chapter 4, it says, I saw heaven open and a voice saying, come up here. And many people believe, and I do too, that it's a reference of the catching away of the remnant bride to meet the Lord in the air. And this is what the end of this has to do with the blood. So once this young man got his, his bride, they would follow the procession back to a place where they had a chopa set up, and it was just like a, a frame, maybe a tallit or some kind of covering there over the top. And they would meet together under this chopa, and there was a, a, a priest of some kind, some kind of religious leader. They would exchange vows and covenants, etc., and once that that was done, this is an, the interesting thing in this ancient culture. They were not considered married until they consummated the marriage. So there was actually a place that they would go and they would consummate the marriage. And this is different in our culture, but this is the way it was. And whenever they were done, the, there was a witness that was over to the side. The young man would come out and show a sheet that had blood on it. And he would begin to rejoice and say, the marriage has been consummated it's done and everybody would start singing and dancing and shouting and they partied for seven days and it's interesting that when the lord catches us away we're going to be at the marriage supper of the lamb that those seven years the earth is in great turmoil we're supposed to be with the lord at a place he prepared for us but our job is to be wise virgins with extra oil to be ready for his coming is all this making sense we don't know when he's coming he's coming like a thief in the night He's coming at a day in an hour we don't expect. And the Bible says the world's going to be getting dark and evil. And he's wanting us to keep ourselves pure for him. He said, I'm coming for a bride without spot or blemish. He's wanting us to live that veiled life that people see something different about us. But I want to make notice here of the fact that there was that blood. The people understood that it was a blood covenant. When people got married, it was a blood covenant. So the Lord has made with us, he's given us the ketubah of his word, and it is a blood covenant. And when we go to meet him in the air, and we're at the marriage supper of the lamb, that is going to be symbolically like the consummation of all things. The Bible says that we will be like him because we see him. And there's more to it I could share because those that have had the Passover meal with us, you know, the fourth cup of Passover, Jesus did not drink of it. He said, I will not drink it with you again until I do in the kingdom to come. And so he's reserved that fourth cup for the marriage supper of the Lamb. But our job is to keep ourselves pure and to be ready with extra oil when he comes. So anyway, tonight, if you want prayer, but one of the reasons why we keep praying for people here is because let's get filled with extra oil. You know, I saw in Pensacola, I saw John Arnott, and he said, guys, here we are living in these last days. He said, this is a good time to buy extra oil and be ready for the coming of the Lord. Amen? So if somebody could just help my wife get this situated back here, I'd appreciate it. And 
Listen, tonight, if you want prayer, we're going to go through and pray for people, just a fresh anointing. Let God touch you mightily.